I remember when he said, we want to offer you a training position to become a front office manager. And I just saw my life flash before my eyes. And literally, I said, I'm resigning tomorrow. You're listening to Balak Bayan. I'm Alan Montecilio. My guest on this episode is Giovanni Ortega. He's an actor, director, playwright, and an assistant professor of theater at Pomona College. Gio grew up in the Philippines before moving to the States when he was 12. And in this conversation, we cover what that was like, along with this whole idea of the 1.5 immigrant experience. We also talk about how he got into theater and why he couldn't ignore that tug to do something creative with his life. And he'll explain why, even though he originally moved to Chicago, L.A. is really where he feels at home now. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the episode. Tell me a little bit about um, about your childhood and your family. I was raised by my two lolas from my mother's side. My father wasn't there as much, but my mom was an OFW. For that reason, I was raised by my two lolas. My dad's side is very Catholic, very religious. All of the guys went to seminary school. I was um, I was part of Deepless when I was in grade school, which meant I lived in the seminary in Santo Domingo Church. And then my my mom's side was more progressive. They were all artists, singers, dancers, writers. So it wasn't as religious. So I definitely grew up having both worlds. Very Catholic conservative upbringing, but also on the other side, kind of like this bohemian artist life. So was this was this mainly in the Philippines or was this in the States? This was in the Philippines. Uh, so I left when I was 12 and that's when I moved to Chicago. And what, what brought you to Chicago then? I think the main the main reason is like I, I my mom really wanted me to be with her and I really wanted to get to know my mother. I mean, I, I was I would see her once a year, twice a year if I was lucky. So and then I, I spent two summers in Japan because she was in Japan for a very long time. A lot of it was through letters. This was in the 80s. So there was no Internet. There's no um, cell phone. So none of that. Yeah, I mean, it really shaped who I was. I mean, that was basically that was the premise for Criers for Hire. The play that I wrote for East West Players is uh, the, the whole 1.5 immigrant experience, which is kind of like how I, where I started in my, I guess what we call creative research, right? What, what is what is a 1.5 immigrant around the world? How, wait, how would you describe 1.5 immigrant? I mean, it really varies. For my experience, it's when when someone moves to a new country around the time that they hit puberty. So you're old enough to gain consciousness in your homeland, but you're young enough to assimilate to the new land, right? It's very different from someone who's a hyphenated, whatnot, right? Hyphenated American, Australian, European, where you grew up as a minority, kind of like the whole idea of like a Filipino American going to the Philippines and they're not Filipino enough. And then here in the, in the States, you're not American enough. 1.5 kind of is able to navigate both worlds. And I grew up in the 80s, so I, I grew up in the people power during that whole regime. I was old enough to recall everything, but also grew up 
with people like me. But also you have people who, people who moved to the States when they were six, but then their parents didn't speak the language. So the whole identity and their cultural identity is still based on where they were from. And then, and then you have those parents who are like, you're going back and you're going to go back to the Philippines and go to school there, you know? So like you grew up here and then you're like sent to the Philippines with your Lola and your Tita because it, it would be a better upbringing and then you go back to the States. So it, it definitely varies. So, so with that in mind, you're old enough to remember uh, what it was like moving to the States. Uh, what, were your, what are your memories from that time? How did you feel? It was just this awe. You know, you, you suddenly are thrown into this whole new world and a world that you've always dreamt of, right? I mean, because of our history and um, the occupation of the States, you had this whole idea of like, well, Philippines was part of the States for a very long time. So there's this like affinity for it. So you feel like, I remember arriving and I was like wearing my best American clothing and I still look like a like I totally look like a fob right I was wearing a spree you know and I was like just trying to fit, fit in I remember eighth grade and people were just like man I looked so funny and I sounded funny so it was it was definitely a culture shock especially especially because I was I was like 12 turning 13 so I was like puberty all my my this, all these hormones are kicking in and then I'm gay so all of a sudden you're like thrown into the mix of like oh um you're starting to realize who you are as an individual and then your mom has like no idea um, what the hell is going on and then and then to add to that she became a single mother <laughs> so all of a sudden and she didn't she didn't go to college or she she didn't have any of that right so all of a sudden we were like within literally man within like within six to seven months of getting to Chicago and it was like winter you you've experienced winter there we were a hella poor we were, we were like uh I think we might need to get food stamps or unemployment so it was definitely not what I thought it was it was and um you know for for the first 12 years of my life it's like my mom was sending money, you know, like the very, you know, Bagong Bayani of the Philippines. It's like you have all these OFWs sending money to their their family in the Philippines. So you, I never thought that it was that harsh. So I'm curious, though, because when, when you were in the Philippines, did you have this image of your, your mom living this like glamorous life in the U.S.? I feel like a lot of folks in the Philippines uh, think that. Oh, yeah. And um, before that, I would go to Japan. So, right, right. You know, there's just so much that your parents can show you, right? As a kid, you never see that. You never see the. I never got to see it because I was only with her for such a short amount of time. So I was there for a vacation. So I'm pretty sure she saved up all that money so she could take me to Tokyo Disneyland or uh-huh. what, what now, right? But then suddenly you're like in Chicago in the dead of winter and. She, she's no longer married and she has to find two jobs and and then I have like a six month old brother and I'm like I didn't sign up for this <laughs> but nor did she nor did she for that matter so I want to get to how you got 
started working in theater and, and performing arts. Um, was that always a big part of your life growing up? Yeah, yeah, because my mom was a singer, right? And then I have an uncle who's a Palanca Award winner for plays, and he was a screenwriter. So he, And then I had another uncle who was a, a poet. So, I mean, by, by fifth grade, my Tito Saldi would be teaching me Edgar Allan Poe, you know, Annabelle Lee, you know. So I was definitely infused with writing and performance at a very young age. And did you have ambitions to be a performer professionally when you were a kid? Yeah, I mean, it was hard because I knew so many professionals, right? My family, I'm surrounded by all these professionals. Sure. But um, because of the hardships that we had, I had growing up, once I moved to Chicago, it was just like, I, I mean, I saw my mom suffer. It became really hard because Chicago... At that time, there were like Filipino singers. What the hell is that, right? And to add to that, she's like, you know how hard it is for me. Why would you do that to yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that was... I I tried to push it aside as much as I can for a very long time. I mean, I was lucky enough to get a music scholarship for voice at UIC. So that provided for my tuition fee. But I was singing. I was singing throughout college but i've always tried to push it aside i worked for hyatt hyatt corporation for years once i graduated college i did americorps after americorps i went back to hyatt and then i was i was finally like oh i can't do this i i can't work for corporate america it's it's much as i know i will be really successful in it i i would be very regretful in my life so I ended up starting performing and then getting more professional while I was doing AmeriCorps in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So that's how it started. Yeah, it must have been hard to try and like ignore all of that, right? All of the ways that you enjoy creative work and, and still, you know, kind of pushing all of that away and pressing onward and trying to keep working in, in the corporate world. No, I mean, seriously, like I remember, so I, I was working for Hyatt by UIC, and then they moved me to Hyatt Regency Chicago, which is 2013 rooms. And um, the person who hired me was now running this hotel. And I remember when he said, we want to offer you a training position to become a front office manager. And I just saw my life flash before my eyes. And literally, I said, I'm resigning tomorrow. Wow, it's like out of a movie. I mean, seriously. And then you go like, oh, what did I just do? <laughs> You're like, I'm going to be jobless right. I in mean, two weeks. <laughs> I mean, how, how, how does all of that work? I mean, it clearly worked out for you in the end, right? I really had to put my trust into the universe and doing the work, of course, definitely doing the work, but then really trusting that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that was when I was, uh, so I was like 20, 22, 23, when I resigned. And then luckily enough, I had, I was doing a show and one of the, the director who I've worked with before said, have you thought about doing grad school, going to grad school? And so I was like, oh, I think that's a great idea. So I applied and I got in, I got into UCLA and that's, that's kind of where it ends and where it all begins. All right, so so walk me through then, if you can, just a little bit about how you, how do you go from that uh, to where you are now, I, especially thinking about how a lot of your work 
these days is about Filipino identity in some way. I'll tell you this. It really took me graduating at UCLA. It was like postgraduate life where I really found myself as a Filipino as a Filipino artist, artist for that matter. Because growing up in Chicago, it's like, I didn't have that world. You don't have like Tony Robles or all these other artists who are in California. So growing up, um, I really had an affinity for Latinos because we have this shared experience, right? The shared experience of, of colonization and oppression. Which I find actually funny when, um, whenever I leave the country. Because whenever I talk about an affinity for Latin culture, it's seen as very colonial. But in actuality, you don't really think about that when you're like followed by immigration here in the States. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, so it's this like suddenly this like shared experience of the oppression of brown people. Especially because of all the similarities in culture, the cultural similarities. So that being said, I saw John Leguizamo's work and I was just like, oh my God, this is phenomenal, right? And he was doing his one-person shows. And then just got really into Latin American literature, like Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Isabel Allende, Sandra Cisneros, all from like around the Chicago area as well, because Sandra Cisneros is from there. But then after, after my MFA program, I was actually in the Philippines and I auditioned for Dog Eaters. And this is the first time I it just felt like everything was coming into fruition. So I go to the audition and um, I got a callback. I heard that Jessica Hagedorn was in the callback. And oh, wow. I, remem- I remember right, the, author. the author. Yeah, I remember that. You know, it's just like all came together and then I got the part. And after that, I was cast in Dog Eaters and there was 22 actors, 18 of which are Filipino. And at that and that's, I, you know, it's like done, done. Does that does that feel different to you at that point? Or are you just focusing on the acting or is there part of you that that was like, oh, my God, like this is this is there's something special about this? Oh, my God. Well, here's the thing, because going back to this whole idea of 1.5 immigrant, like I I separated it like I'm Filipino, but I'm not a Filipino artist. So it was two separate worlds. Like I had my whole family, my mom, like I I was Pinoy, you know, I'm Filipino. Like so. But I never wrote about it. I never I was never cast in it because this was a time where Filipinos were not being cast as Filipinos. We were I was always cast as a gangbanger, a Mexican cholo, or or a Chinese um, techie person. So there was no point of reference in the Midwest during that time. But the moment I got out of grad school and I and that and got cast in Dog Eaters and the show was a search to involve Filipino Americans, the biggest not for profit for um, Filipino Americans back then. And it was just like a bombardment of Filipino American identity. And so from that point on, it's like, oh my God, cut to now, I am just surrounded by so many Filipino Americans and Filipino artists. And, and I think that's what started my, my, re, my, my creative research like three years ago, where I'm like, 
well, Filipinos exist all over the world. So let's go. Let's go and check it out. And I'm actually leaving for Sydney in three days because they're having one of the biggest Filipino-Australian festivals going on. You know, it's insane. So, so you've been working and living in, in Los Angeles since you finished grad school. Is, is L.A. home for you now? Yeah, it's, it's my home base. Yeah, I can't see myself living anywhere else. Yeah, um, it's just uh, the culture. Number one, there's no majority here, right, uh, population-wise. And um, the sun. Yep. Yeah, I, I just feel really at home here. Very, I laid back, but it could also be very hectic. And I'll tell you this, like, the Filipino community here is just so massive but small at the same time um the asian american community here is the same way the latino community here is the same way uh whenever i go into chicago and i talk to my brother he lives in gurney and it's like wow it is a it's a different world it's really a different world okay so you may have heard me bug you all about my episode on nicknames. I even got my parents to do it for me. And I promise this will be the last time I plead for voicemails. If you've been putting it off, now is the time to take 30 seconds and do it. If you have a nickname, I would love to hear the story behind it. You can either leave me a voicemail at 971-800-1389. That's 971-800-1389. Or record a voice memo on your smartphone and email the audio file to me at talk at balikbayanshow.com. I'm really, really looking forward to this episode, and I'd appreciate your help with it. Uh, actually, here's an example of one of the voicemails that I've already gotten. My family nickname was Aya, and my family um, named, named me after a family friend. And my whole life, you know, I responded to it. I It was a family thing, but I didn't feel that it was me or I didn't feel that it was American enough and I was born in the Philippines but um, we immigrated when I was nine months old so when I got to high school I actually transitioned into the nickname Andy which honestly feels better suited to my personality but um, I still respond to Aya when my relatives call me that it's kind of a like I said, a family thing. Stay tuned in the next few weeks for more voices like this, and hopefully yours is one of them. And I also may or may not be interviewing my parents about why I don't have a nickname, so I'll look forward to that. All right, back to Giovanni Ortega. All right, this is the part of the show where I ask uh, some Filipino lightning round questions. They're kind of a series of questions that I... I want to ask almost every Filipino I meet, and there's a few kind of sprinkled in there uh, that are for you specifically. You all ready to go? Let's do it. All right, question one. Do you have a nickname? Butchoy. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Where, where, does, where does that come from? I think uh, Butchoy is a film that Nino Mulak was in when he was a kid. And he was really chubby, and I was like a very, very chubby kid. So I don't, I don't even remember when they start first. Time. I must, I must have been like five, because they still call me Butchoy. Right. So this is a family nickname, then, right? Yeah, this is a family nickname. So do they still call you that now? 
<laughs> yeah, they call me Geo now. <laughs> they call me Geo. Sure, okay, yeah. It's cute because my brother still calls me Kuya Buchoy. Oh, really? That's great. It's, 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 yeah, it's very endearing. Ube or mango? Ooh, that's a hard one. I would have to say, I would have to say mango. How do you feel about karaoke? Uh, I don't, I don't use it as much. I think it's a lot of fun. I love, wa- I love watching my family sing karaoke, though. Is there a particular song that makes you think of your family singing karaoke? Um, my mom kills it when she sings People. People who need people. But, oh, gosh, that's great. <laughs> by Barbara Streisand. Um, uh, for me, It's Just the Way You Are by Billy Idol. I remember, like, look, like, this is how Filipino the dog eaters cast were. Every, after rehearsals, we would go karaoke. Till like one or two in the morning. Oh my gosh. That sounds like a lot of fun, but also very tiring at the same time. It's crazy. Uh, were you raised Catholic? You mentioned this earlier. I assume the answer. Yes. Yes. Raised Catholic. Would you call yourself Catholic now? I would call myself interfaith with Christian values. I, I, I mean, to be honest with you, like if I, I go to church, like a Catholic church, I don't do the sign of the cross. Is that a kind of thing that's noticeable to, to more Catholic members of your family? Or, or like, do you talk about that? Or No, I think it's notice, noticeable to me, definitely. Like, oh, I'm not, doing, I'm not doing the sign of the cross. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being kind of non-existent and 10 being uh, fluent, how would you rate your uh, mastery of, of Tagalog and any other kind of dialects that are important to you? I so want to say 10, but, but when I get emotional... It's most, mostly when I'm upset, my, my, my Tagalog skills go haywire. Like, I, whenever I have an argument with my mom, and she's starting to, like, lambast me with, like, Tagalog, I can't, I, I, I have to actually respond in English. <laughs> but, um, no, I've been fortunate. I'm not, I would say a seven or eight, just because I know, I know writers who write in Tagalog, who are from the States. So I will say an eight at the most. Although I just did a Tagalog McDonald's commercial. So Wait, really? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. Um, is, is this for in the States or in, for the, in the Philippines? It's for the American market, the Filipino American market. But I have a, it's probably going to go, it's probably going to go to the Philippines. Okay. What role do you most want to see played by a Filipino actor or performer whether it's in play whether that's a play or a movie or anything like that oh wow you know it'd be really nice to have like a pinoy in game of thrones uh-huh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great you know i mean i i would love to be in it i mean i mean reggie is a good friend of mine um i mean he did grim right and then he was in pirates of the caribbean i want i actually reggie Reggie Lee is one of those people that I just admire so much because he really breaks any kind of stereotype, especially when he did Prison Break. This is like freaking 10 years ago Mm -hmm. when he was the villain in Prison Break. It was just such a great, great role for him. Right. I mean, it's definitely like that's those are the things that I look up to. And and Conrad Ricamora in how to get away with murder. I mean, I think we're now, we're now at a point in the industry where we are seen as leading men. We're not there yet, but definitely there's more. I do feel that uh, Filipino women 
I'll get flack for this. I will get flack for this, but uh, there there's more rules for them to play an ingenue because it's it's usually it's usually you have a a person of color, Filipina or Asian leading actress playing counterpart with a male actor, which has predominantly been always white. I have one last question for you here is, um, would you live in the Philippines again someday? I think I could live there for part of the year, maybe like a month or two months. I, I do have to go back. I have to go back and visit. It's been a very long time. It's really funny because I literally gone to every country around the Philippines in the last three years, but not the Philippines. Oh really? But you would live. You would live there for a few months, though. You wouldn't live there full time necessarily. Ah uh, no, no, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. Not not on a permanent basis. Mm-hmm. I mean, how does it feel to be back when you're there? Is, does it feel good? You know, I'll be honest with you. I do feel like an exile sometimes. Um, it's really, really emotionally hard. It's just hmm. emotionally hard for me. Ah uh, man, I I remember the last time I was there. I, you know, you you hear these stories of of people crying in the bathroom stalls <laughs> at the airport right before you leave, and I I was like I ended up becoming one of those people. It's it it's so painful for me, you know. I'm I'm already a highly emotional human being because of the craft that I work on, but there's just this tug, right? There's this tug and and pull that you have to go, but but you don't want to. That tug of, of being drawn there but feeling like an exile too, is that what it is? Well, a tug of like the the place wanting you to stay, but you know you have to go. Yeah, there's there's this this feeling of being in exile, of not you know, exiles are not allowed to go home. I, I it is by choice that I don't. But yeah, I'm sure I will. There's a lot of like actually a lot of more painful memories that I have to deal with in order for me to really fully come back. You know, my, my Lola has passed away without me being there. That's, a, that's really painful for me to deal with. But I think, I think I've been able to process through that. So maybe in like a year or two. Thanks so much for, for, for talking. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, man. Have a great day. That's Giovanni Ortega, or Gio. Uh, You can find him at his website, GiovanniOrtega.com. And that does it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As as always, if you like the show, please share it with friends, family, casual acquaintances, maybe even random Filipinos you meet on the street. And if you haven't already, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your shows. You can also go to BalikBayanShow.com. And I'm on Twitter and Facebook at Balik Bayan Show. Finally, you can, of course, email me at talk at balikbayanshow.com. Balik Bayan is produced by me, Alan Montesilio. Theme music by Arvi Mendoza at Blue Dot Sessions. The show's logo is by Niccolo Pizarro. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode, and thanks again for listening. <laughs>